Morning Show, Sports at 590, the fan, Van Ennis, Brent Gunning, Leafs back in action tomorrow at home against the Los Angeles Kings, and then they go back on the road for one game. Weird. Go to Boston, and then uh, return home. They have an extended, extended homestand before mm. departing for Sweden. Uh, I, 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 no, don't talk about it. <sighs> Moving on. You have already irked me. I've been discussing the lack of Leafs outdoor games. Yeah. Don't tempt me. I okay. will complain about anything. No, no schedule talk. No, uh, no getting mad <laughs> at, at the way the the league uh, treats the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, how about this for a formula for success, Brent? <clears throat> Leafs have a goalie who's second in the league in save percentage. Will take. They have two players in the top eight in goal scoring. Mm, that's good. And they have a top five power play. Is that something you could be interested in? I could be interested in that. Yeah, that's all really good. And if you're pointing at one area of supreme concern, I mean, supreme in quotation marks, but it's the the, the power play or uh, penalty kill, which is clearly the one special teams outfit that you it's Mm -hmm. off to an uneven start was not the super strength a season ago. So much of that is goaltending, though. And and Samson yep. was in net for a couple of power play goals against again mm-hmm. over the weekend. Um, eighth worst by percentage in the National Hockey League. So not like abysmal, abysmal, but also not great. It's also an area that you could see improving as there's a bunch of guys killing penalties for the first time in their NHL careers. One of them looks like one of the best penalty killers in Austin Matthews, mm-hmm. who's I mean, what is the if I set the over under at three and a half shorthanded goals that Austin Matthews is going to score this season? Would you take the over? Nah, that's a lot. Yeah, that's, that's a, a lot. It's <laughs> a lot. And it's like he can easily do it, but just average ta- average sake, yeah, yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. So all those things together, like that's man. Not only are you getting the results, hey, you're not off to a Boston Bruins level start, which is that's the Bruins are seven zero and one, giving up only eleven regulation goals in those eight games. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. Like 11 goals in regulation in eight games, and they're 7-0-1. So it's not it's not quite that start, which, again, did not work out uh, for the Bruins a season mm-hmm. ago when they had the incredible regular season. It is weird, though, that like, the Lightning had that incredible regular season, bowed out in the first round against the Blue Jackets, and then decided not to have that good yeah, a regular so be season good, the next but year. not yeah. too good. <laughs> it was like almost a concerted effort yes. to like not be as good the next year during mm-hmm. the regular season, then won the Cup. Uh, the Bruins are like, no, we're doing it again! <laughs> Uh, so the Leafs are not off to to that type of start, but man, that's that's those are all great indicators. Yeah, they they are. I, the thing with the penalty kill that I keep coming back to is it's not so much the goalie. I don't want to absolve Samson off of that. He certainly wears his fair share of it. And first just, one wasn't great. Yeah, no, it really wasn't. Just ask him. He knows. Believe me, he's very very aware of of how it's it's going right now. But we talked about all the blue liners that played a big chunk of games for this team last season. And the guys just, just aren't here la- this year. Justin Hall, say what you will about him. For all his faults, that guy probably yeah. played more penalty kill minutes than anyone on the team. Definitely blocked more shots on the penalty kill than anyone else did last year. And just losing that one piece. And again, you know, I know he was a popular whipping boy for some people here, but losing that really does hurt your team. And then just go up and down your lineup. Look at the defenders. Morgan Riley, you like him. You don't love him killing penalties. John Klingberg, you like him. Maybe you don't, but you definitely don't like him killing penalties. Penalties, TJ Brody. Yeah. He can do it. 
that's not the strength of his game. And Mark Giordano, it's just how much are you going to ask a 40-year-old to do? He can do it, but how much are you going to ask? McCabe, not necessarily a strength of his game either. It could be that's something he could potentially grow into, but you haven't seen it yet. So I, I just keep looking at it from a personnel perspective. And when I say that, it's the same thing we talk about with this team all the time. It's the blue line. Um, it is, no no doubt. And and I, I think Tyler Bertuzzi's had a couple of better, better games. And like he seems like more of a fit on the Leafs' number one line. I say that sort of in jest, but I will say that back-to-back hat tricks to start the season from Austin Matthews and seven goals and him looking dangerous is really taking some of the attention away from like that line kind of being eh, totally middling, right? It's shot attempts for the season. They're about even when they're on the ice. Chances about even when they've been on the ice. They've been asked to do a lot more too. Uh, I'm talking about five on five yep. here, by the way. Uh, and goals, they're dead even. Mm-hmm. Four when they've been on the ice and four against when they've been on the ice. That's Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. And they got Callie Yarncroak right now who's been a fit at times with them, but clearly not like the ideal setup for that unit. But I don't, like maybe Matthew Nyes eventually is is their running that, mate, but, right? But, but let's... But you can't mess with what's happening between he and Max Domi, who's finally starting to look like the a more viable offensive player. I was just going to say, like, we, we're all big boys here. We can have the conversation. Let's just point the finger where it needs to be pointed. Austin Matthews has been his normal self. Maybe he would like him to hit a couple less posts. Mm-hmm. Whoever the guy is on the left-hand side, you have your quibbles with. If you wanted more out of Bertuzzi or if maybe you want more out of Yarncroft, I don't really know what you're waiting for. You're still waiting, and I know he got the goal to get off his back the other day, but you're still waiting for that Marner game That's where you it. go, wow, where the panel is just gushing about him. And it's how many times we watched during that Tavares season of, oh, there's the Marner point. They're all pointing at him because he's setting him up all the time. Mitch Barter has not been bad this season. Far, far from it. But he hasn't had the game where you point to and say, ah, you're doing the Marner point where you're going, look yeah, how good he it. is. A hundred percent. This insider is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com is the hardest working man in showbiz. David Honestly. Amber, like, I, I guess, like, in his car, like, I, I don't understand how this is physically possible that you could be back in the city of Toronto after being at the Heritage Classic yesterday, but but you are. Thanks for doing this, man. The, the magic of uh, aircraft, I guess. I literally, I, I mean, I walked in the door 20 minutes ago, uh, <laughs> took my dog out to do her business, and then um, full total confession, I'm glad we're not on Zoom or FaceTime or something. <laughs> I'm lying in bed right now. Yeah. Oh, red eye you know you get your sleep back on the red eye it didn't work for me i don't know what happened but i was uh i couldn't sleep so i'm i'm pulling an all-nighter but i'm gonna take a little nap and get ready for our monday night show tonight dude i can't okay so people be aware that david amber not responsible for some of the thoughts that that he espouses on the on this radio hit he's on zero (laughs) sleep okay no sleep yeah So we put the disclaimer out there. Uh, but let's talk about the Heritage Classic, which was cool. Sure. I, I, I love brown pants. Like, can we get can we get a team wearing brown pants on a regular basis? Hold on, David. Before you answer, this has been a hobby horse of mine. I guess Ben doesn't know this. I need the Leafs in their brown pants with the green St. Pat's uniforms, not mm. the other way around. So sorry, brown pants okay. are good. Do you agree, David? Look, you're asking me fashion questions pretty early in the morning about Ben, Brent. I, you know what I did? I really liked, I thought the gear for the Oilers was great. And the only, the thing closest to it, I guess, would be the Vegas Golden Knights. So it does have that championship pedigree, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I like when they use the specialty, you know, something that just brings back 
old memories. I love the Vancouver Canucks one where they have like that lumberjack on the front of their. Yeah. Oh yeah. Breast. So there's some really nice ones, really cool ones. You mentioned the St. Pat's one. So, um, yeah, it was cool. It really fit in well with the rest of the pageantry of the event. The spectacle was, was fantastic, guys. I've done, I don't know, seven or eight of these outdoor games now. And the spectacle always does fascinate me. And this was one of the better ones. It just There was a lot of flame fans there. It was a jammed house. Uh, the players were into it. Uh, you know, they kind of came in their pregame gear to sort of play up their you know, their cities they're from. It it was really it was really good. And um and you know, it also sort of was a bit of a what the Oilers are hoping will be a turning point in their season because it was you know one of their worst starts in franchise history and they were quite dominant yesterday yeah they were no that's the thing it was like it was it was a great spectacle against two great rivals but at a point in both of their histories and their seasons in which it felt like a crisis moment and one team needed it more than the other and it was the team that ended up victorious not just because they only had one win and the flames went into that game with two, but yeah, the flames missed the playoffs last year and they're, they're more of an unknown. The, the, the Oilers are a Stanley cup contender. That felt like, boy, the, the Oilers lose that game. And I mean, what is the, what is the discussion in Edmonton today? Yeah. And, and I mean, listen, I think if some flames fans are listening to this, they're like, what's this guy talking about? You know, that's five losses in a row, but I agree with you. I think the, but, but I mean, I think your point is very valid. The preseason expectations internally and externally for the Oilers was, you know, a lot of people are saying Stanley Cup or bust. And they've gone and laid another egg last night. I mean, how, how seriously was the team taking it? You know, we, uh, Elliot Friedman and I interviewed Paul Coffey in the pregame show, and Paul Coffey said, yeah, you know, I sat down, I talked to the players. I mean, they're bringing in Hall of Famers to talk to the players and get them straightened out. I mean, he was talking to them about just having a certain sense of accountability and not worrying about the outside stuff. The coaches are going to control your ice time. What you control is your effort level. And I think that was something that resonated with the players. And because I, I mean, I specifically asked Coffee, you were here when the expectations were Stanley Cup or bust. And you probably can relate to when the team goes through a little lull. The, the Oilers dynasty didn't have a lot of you know, long lulls and, and problems in their in their time, but there was times when they weren't playing great. And he said, yeah, of course, people look back and look at the Stanley Cups. Trust me, there were some, you know, tough trails along the way. So I, I think this was a really big potential turning point. Listen, it's one win at the end of the day, but they looked good. They looked, you know, they looked much more like the team we expected to see. At times, McDavid was dominant. Drysaddle was very good. The complimentary pieces, Hyman scores. You know, Kane was all over the ice, gets that empty net goal. So this is what they're looking for. It was a much better defensive effort, and it looked good in that was was Stuart Skinner, too. So uh, good news for them, bad news for the Flames, because that's five losses in a row, and and Jonathan Huberto is still on a milk carton. I mean, it's just, it's MIA, guys. I it was it was shocking to me. Like this guy is supposed to be, you know, that leader. They're paying him ten and a half million dollars, and that that contract just started now. I mean, they have this year plus seven more years. They're going to need this guy to be a lot, lot better than he's been so far this year. Yeah, it's a uh, far cry from Jack Hughes' contract kicking in this year or last year, whatever it was. But yeah, not exactly uh, the start that that he wanted to have there. You know, you mentioned the Oilers and the pressure they feel, and you know, rightfully so. How much of that do you think is, and look, I mean, you know, we all know who the president of Hockey Ops is now in, in Edmonton, you know, McDavid and Drysaddle both seem very happy there. I don't think anyone expects them to leave, but their mm-hmm. salary structure is going to look very different when those guys need to put pen to paper on new deals. You know, obviously Drysaddle probably in line for a bit more of a raise just because of 
the team-friendly deal he's on. How much do you think that is kind of ratcheting into the pressure, the idea of the Oilers being on a bit of a clock? Again, not because those guys are going to leave, but just you're going to have to pay them a little more. You usually cost you some talent somewhere else. We talk about this so much here with the Leafs, and I just wonder how much you think of that is, is going on with the Oilers and how much of that there's there's talk. I mean, you were just around the Edmonton media there for, for a couple of days. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's talk about a mass exodus, but I think it's 100% crystal clear that this is the window. And we've seen this in, you can go through every sport. The window's there, and then it goes, right? Like, you can pick the sport, pick the team, and it's like, oh, they've got these young up-and-coming stars. You don't have to look any further than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Their window is now. You know, they can't wait three more years to sort of try and figure it out. You know, what will the team look like in three years? Where will the players be as far as their you know, what their career uh, arcs are. You know, right now they've got McDavid in his prime. They've got Dreisaitl in his prime. You know, the complementary pieces, many of those players are in their prime as well. You know, uh, Evan Bouchard's obviously on his way up and, and, you know, is coming into his prime. So this is the time to strike, you know, and you're right. The narrative around the team is going to be very different if they, if they imagine, God forbid, if they miss the playoffs this year and then dry settles coming into the final service deal, the narrative's completely different than if they go to the Stanley Cup final or win a cup or whatever the case may be. So this is a very, very pivotal kind of all-in year for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, you know, probably not that dissimilar to the Maple Leafs. I'm not saying it's Stanley Cup or bust here in Toronto, but certainly the expectations are to keep moving in the right direction. I would say if the Leafs exited in the first round this year, it would not be under any type of metric considered a successful season, right? It doesn't really matter what happens in the regular season. It's going to be judged on how they do in the postseason. And it's the exact same for the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, and the the conversation in Toronto much different than the conversation they're having around their hockey teams in Alberta because the Leafs are off to a pretty good start. Not Again, not Bruins-level ridiculous or Golden Knights-level <laughs> ridiculous, but a yeah. perfectly acceptable start. It, it does really, it's a contrast in, in extremes, right? Having a strong start in a Canadian market feels like outsized important, David. And I just have to go back to last year for the Leafs who were off to not a horrible start, but they went on on the road to California and didn't pick up a, a victory. And they were 4-4-2 and two after 10 games. And there were legitimate conversations about Sheldon Keefe's job security. Uh, I mean, again, we've heard the conversations happening out of Alberta. It, it just feels so outsized important if you have expectations in a Canadian market to not stub your toe out of the gate. Uh, yeah, I think that's fair. And, and you know, I, I, don't, I know everyone's like, oh, you know, people are pushing the panic button. The fans are crazy. The media is crazy. Yes, uh, things get accentuated and exaggerated at times. I fully think there's a level of hyperbole. Having said that, Go and talk to the Ottawa Senators players. Go and talk to the Vancouver Canucks players and ask them, you know, how far a hole they buried themselves in and that it was completely impossible to dig out from, right? The Ottawa Senators, if you remove the first five weeks of the last two seasons, have basically been a playoff team. The Vancouver Canucks, you you know, they they got a horrible start two years ago under Travis Green, couldn't dig out under Bruce Boudreaux, as as good as the Bruce there it is was. Last year, they got off to a horrible start with Bruce Boudreaux. Couldn't dig out with as good as a, as a finish it was with Rick Tockett, right? Um, you know, you don't want to dig that type of hole. And quite frankly, you know, it's not too, it's too early to bury anyone. But, you know, Elliot Friedman has that great stat, American Thanksgiving, which is now less than a month away, whatever, November 26th or whatever. It's, it's like 88% or some crazy number like that of, of teams that make the playoffs at the end of the year are already positioned in a playoff spot. So 
So start doing the math. There's going to be maybe one, maybe two teams in the 16 teams that get to the postseason that aren't already in a playoff spot one month from today. So the Calgary Flames, they sit 15th in the West. Think about the amount of teams they're going to have to climb over to be in that spot a month from now, right? The Edmonton Oilers, as good as they are, they're going to have some work to do as well. So it's just not an easy situation to be in. And as much as, you know, we kind of do trump things up here in the Canadian media, certainly because there's that passion around the teams, it's, it's a viable thing that you're not going to lose a Stanley Cup, or sorry, I should say you're not going to win a Stanley Cup in October, but you might lose your opportunity to even battle for a Stanley Cup the way you play in October and early November. Yeah, there's there's certainly been a lot of that, and you know, David, you you mentioned the Canucks there at five, two, and one. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. maybe we, I should have taken taken heed of the warning shot they they gave us all on the opening night with the eight one drubbing of the Oilers there. But yeah, I'm pretty surprised. I don't know that I expected to continue this way. How much are you buying or what's going on early on in Vancouver? I don't know. You guys I probably had your eyes fixated on a lot of things, including uh, the World Series. But I was able to catch um, after we left our show, uh, I was done after the, the early game, after the Leaf game on Saturday night and went and got some dinner and watched the Canucks game uh, at a bar. And it was it was really exciting. They were playing the Rangers and it was, you know, they had played the night before Vancouver. They'd shut out St. Louis. They're on the back end of a back-to-back playing a very good Ranger team. And they basically ended up losing uh, in overtime but they looked very good. Quinn Hughes is dominant when he's on the ice. He's completely controlling the tempo of the play. It's, it's not that dissimilar to Kale McCarr. It's very impressive. And the, the complimentary pieces, you know, including Lafferty, who they brought in from the Leafs, have been really good uh, accessories to their stars in Hughes and Demko and Pedersen and, and you know, Miller, et cetera. I, I like the look of the team, and they've taken on the identity of their head coach, Rick Tockett, tenacious. There's nasty players at times. They're very physical, uh, quite high skill. It, it's, you know, I don't want to over, oversell what they've done. It's eight games. It's not 82 games. But I really like the early returns for Vancouver. And they're just playing with a certain level of, of passion. And, uh, you know, they might be a legitimate – they could be the devils of last year, which mm. would be a really cool situation for them to be in because no one really knew. A lot of people said, yeah, they might make the playoffs or, you know, they might be a bottom six, seven, eight team. And, and here they are right now looking very good. So it's been really good to see so far. David, this is one of the best interviews ever done from a bed. Like an incredible. In a prone position, yeah. not even from a bed, just in a, a prone position anywhere. Well done. I'm in, I'm in the fetal position right now. <laughs> praying that tonight's show goes well. We've, got, we've actually got the Jets and Rangers. So for those you know, diehard fans who uh, you know, want to see Blake Wheeler's return as a New York Ranger and with the reception he'll be receiving, uh, and we have a really cool, you know, feature. Well, I'll have Anson Carter, Colby Armstrong, and Cassie Campbell Pasco, and we're gonna have some fun tonight on Rogers Monday Night Hockey. All right, sleep fast. Then, yeah, David. what a what a promo you cut there as well. <laughs> You're so good at this, David. <laughs> well done. Oh man. Yeah. yeah with... Thanks for having me on, fellas. I appreciate it. Yeah. Not not a problem. See you, David. Take care, guys. All right, David Amber. Today's insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley North Lexus. Dot com definitely wearing like the full onesie PJs with the feeties. Uh, yeah, I mean, if I was David Amber, it'd be no shirt. That guy is jacked. <laughs> just saying. Right. I'm like, why? Why ever wear a tarp? Yeah. <laughs> He's probably they the- would. I would be arguing with my bosses. Yeah. Like, come on, come on, suit, suit and tie, man. Yeah. Come on, what me? Yeah. Not a chance.
Yeah. You just raise it. You're like, wouldn't it be like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if like everybody Halloween. just, yeah. You should do Halloween. <laughs> you should be like a beach, you should be no, like a shirt. Yeah. Like have like the full sunblock on the nose, oh, do like a smart. lifeguard thing. Yeah. Then it's like, it's like, cla- I mean, I yeah, could never that's do an excuse. Classic like right. Jack dude move of for mm-hmm. Halloween. I'm just going to take my shirt off. Mm-hmm. It's a great move. I could never do it. Well, do you, oh yeah, we, we've talked about what you're where you're you're going out. You have to dress up for Halloween. Yeah, the right? people in my neighborhood were they're getting some comments about not partaking last year. So my wife and I got uh, very comfortable onesies. Oh I'll yes, be walking that's smart. my child around in my in my Elmo onesie. That's smart. She's the Cookie Monster. So I mentioned it probably should be flipped. I like cookies way more than her. She doesn't like cookies. I'm sure I, she enjoys a cookie. Not as. You look look at the oh, disgusting man, we gotta bring back in that. front of you. Yeah, we, cookie we used, guy. We had a, it's still in my phone. It's a chat of guys who like cookies, and it's me, you, Bunk, and... Well, I think it trend. started with Nazem Kadri. Well, that, well, honestly, pulling back the curtain, it was you two getting ready for your Kadri interview, and these two journalists here, this was your big in. You're like, hey, I bet he likes cookies. Let's <laughs> ask him about them. How'd that go? Uh, yeah, I don't think we no, he, You know what he said? Yeah, I like a cookie here or there. He's a professional athlete. He's not mm-hmm. Gonna come out and say, "Oh yeah, I love cookies. They're so good." I, I think it was birthed out of a com- a comment maybe he made yeah, about for cookies. Sure. Someone enjoy- asked, yeah, yeah, for sure. That was a lot that we just we just did there with very little context. Rabbit made a little bit of sense. Um, My fault mostly. <laughs> <laughs> so the pressure is off for one day. The Edmonton Oilers, they, yes. they they get the respite of looking good and Connor McDavid being back and beating their provincial rivals and looking pretty dominant in in that fashion. But it's still a horrible, horrible start. And David's right to bring up mm-hmm. the, the starts that the Canucks and Senators have had in recent vintage and basically sinking their entire seasons because it's such a difficult hole to climb out of considering the parity that exists in the NHL and the number of, of three-point games and yada, yada, yada. Um, the opposite being true here in Toronto is money yeah, in the bank. It it absolutely is. And again, this is not, we're not having discussions about all oh, historic point totals for <laughs> no. this leaf season. That might happen because yeah. they've racked them up the last couple of years yep. and it's meant next Lose to nothing in, yeah. in, in, in the postseason. But just, there is another side of that, right? Like if, if you are, I mean, think about those early games where they were, getting outplayed at times and requiring multiple six on five goals against the Montreal Canadians to get it to overtime. And then which they love forever. They've loved that. But imagine like some of those games that were pretty close to 50, 50 go against you. And, and yeah, the conversation ramps up and, and, and maybe there's, you know, an impact on the, the, the play of some of the, these players who are feeling the pressure Mm-hmm. Considering the new regime, yeah, the the opposite being true has been a, a massive coup for this Leafs team. Yeah, and it, honestly, uh, the way I look at it, I don't know if you if you feel the same way, but the way I look at it is that I look at it the way we talk about the Tampa series of the past couple of years of were they the better team in last year's Tampa series? I don't know any person who puts their hand up and says yes, the Leafs deserve to win that series the most of all the times they played Tampa. But guess what? the score tilted in their favor. Mm-hmm. There have been bad leaf starts where they've got goalied in the past. And it's not always that not to yeah. pepper or not to paper over the bad that has existed, but there have been games where they have deserved better results early on in season than they've got. And that's been part of a spiral that's happened. So 
you know, we talk about this all the time, the idea of luck in sports. And I don't think the Leafs are off to this start because they're lucky this year. But if you balance it out, they've definitely been more fortuitous this season than they have at the beginning of some other ones. Mm -hmm. But when you're a good team, you take advantage of your luck. Like it's like anything in life. You work to put yourself in a position. And if you're lucky, you get some breaks. Great. Take advantage of them. That's what this Leafs team is doing now. You know, they have had some pretty solid road games coming off the back of some not so solid games at the be- at the earlier part of the season. That Montreal one specifically, even the Minnesota game right, right after that. So that's the way I look at it is that there have been years where they don't deserve to be in the spot they've been in. So maybe it's kind of balancing out a little bit this year. Yeah. I mean, if we're doing subjective scoring, if you're going on the nerd stats at five on five the oilers have the third best Corsi four percentage in the national hockey league right mm-hmm. like do they deserve to be only sitting on two victories this no. season maybe but, not but, but goaltending is a thing yeah so maybe they do well but that that's the sliding doors thing right like if 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 oh, joseph God. wall had not played as well as mm-hmm. he has played and Ilya samsonov was it and you you got no backup plan and he continues Keith petrozelli or martin jones for that matter and the, that can yeah. sink your entire season. And yeah, the the Alberta teams are well aware of that in, in seasons past. Uh, but instead, he's off to a perfectly acceptable start. Uh, this but is, still looking up at the top of the Atlantic this division, is a though. Big, this is a big stretch they they have ahead of them. Like, we're not going to preview the game. We'll do a bunch of that tomorrow. But that Kings game is going to be no fun. Obviously, we know mm-hmm. what Boston's ahead of. And then you got Sabres, who whatever, but they got they got a win yesterday. And then the Lightning, who, you know, it's all we know what it's always like when those two teams play just a hard, heavy game. Sends after that. So, yeah, big stretch for the Leafs coming up. And then they go to Sweden shortly I, thereafter. I'm being so good. I know we, I know you're, you are so excited. Not that I'm not, but you're so excited to talk about the World Series next. I would not rob you of that, but I do want to yell and scream about the Leafs schedule. But I won't because I'm a good friend. I mean, you've also done that a ton of I don't times care. over you the last think that two would, weeks. Do you think that would stop me? No, probably not. So get us out of here before I start All right, doing so it. we're going to talk about the World Series. <laughs> uh, we're also going to talk about Gabriel Moreno continuing to perform during the postseason and how that might impact Dalton Varsho's future seasons. Cameron Mabin... Former Major League outfielder, MLB Network analyst joins us next. He was uh, famously, of course, part of the Mel- uh, Miguel Cabrera trade uh, as he departed Florida for Detroit. He joins us next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gutting, 84 wins for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Lost, World beaters. Lost their last four games of the regular season. Some They make the playoffs, despite that. Fighting tooth and nail to get in. They lose their last four games of the regular season. They're into the playoffs. And here they are now on level terms with the Texas Rangers. World Series all tied up at ones, headed into tonight's Pivotal Game 3 in Arizona on Sportsnet at 8 o'clock. Let's talk to former Major League outfielder, currently MLB Network analyst. It's Cameron Mabin, kind enough to join us today. How's it going, Cameron? Man, I woke up this morning, so everything is good. (laughs) Good day so far. Yeah, it's a low bar, but okay. Yeah, no, I I, I accept it. Gratitude goes a long way, bro, you know? I love the the attitude, man. Um, And yeah, this this D-backs seemingly has a great attitude as well, despite the fact, again, (laughs) lost last four games of the regular season, just barely make the playoffs. Here they are. Three wins away from winning the World Series. What has happened to this team? Like, how how is that eighty four win team, which was, you know, they 
achieved more than was expected of them. How are they now three wins away from winning the World Series? I think this is the beauty of baseball. This is the beauty of the regular season. Um, I think nobody took the D-backs to be here. I, you know, I, I had them beating the, the, Mil- the Milwaukee Brewers in that first round, and I didn't see them going much further than that when you start to look at the Dodgers championship pedigree, what they've been able to do. You look at that roster. But it's the epitome of, of teams getting high at the right time. And, and I think what's happening for me is something so special and so unique and, and guys, you know, peaking at the right time, coming together at the right time. Uh, everything happening in harmony, and that's what you're seeing right now. And for me, the beauty of what we're watching right now is I think something is happening for baseball that's so beautiful, and that's, you know, I call it old-school version of baseball where teams are finding a way to manufacture runs. Uh, you know, nobody's ever had this many sacrifice bunts in the postseason since the 2000 and, and one Diamondbacks with Craig Council. So, you know, what they're doing, their ability to not strike out, put the ball in play, uh, still bases at, put pressure on the defense while also still having the ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. It makes the team a, a, a fun and special team to watch, and it doesn't look like a team that won 84 games and that scuffle to just define their way in the, in the playoffs. Yeah, there's been so much talk about baseball looking and feeling different this year, and obviously a massive part of that is the pitch clock. And, you know, I won't speak for you, but, uh, man, I, I love it. It's it's remarkable what it's done to the game. But it does feel like a lot of what's kind of maybe not being talked about to the extent it should is what you're talking about, just a different kind of baseball playing at, at this time of year. Now, you know, we know all sports are a little bit of a copycat league. They see something working, and a lot of teams say, okay, should I try to replicate that? Do you think we see more teams that are looking to put the ball in play more, and maybe that's part and parcel with the shift rules being changed or do you think that this is just kind of a uh, a one-off happenstance that we have with the teams we see here this year and obviously the Diamondbacks kind of chief among them yeah this is my outlook on it and I think uh, I've talked to quite a few baseball people who agree I think this is baseball's way of saying that hey we possibly may have screwed the game up a little bit with analytics to a to a to a certain point meaning all of a sudden no offense to guys like Mike Moustakis guys like Eugenio Suarez they can't play shortstop. Jed Jerko, you can't put him at shortstop because all we care about is OPS. Now you have pitches on the mound with the shift restrictions where you turn around, your shortstop, your second baseman, your center fielder, you want guys that can go get the ball. You want athletes in those positions. And I think, for me, baseball saying it's a new version of baseball, but actually it's the old version of baseball. This was early 90s, late 90s, early 2000s baseball where guys hit for power, they hit for average, they could move guys over. Guys cared about hitting, you know, 280 or 300. Um, all of a sudden, you know, a few years ago, they told me where it, it, it wasn't even worth trying to steal a bag because analytics said there was no reason to. Well, all of a sudden, now we make the bases bigger. We, we limit the pitchers' uh, amount of pickoffs they can have. I can still steal 40 bags right now at 36 with these new rules. So <laughs> now all of a sudden, we're seeing the athletes come back into the game, and they're saying this is a new way of baseball. But technically, this is actually baseball saying without admitting, hey, we might have messed it up a little bit. Let's go back to – the, the great brand of baseball, you know, guys laying down sack buns, what do you have to do? You have to make a play. You have to go steal that ball. You have to throw the ball to the base. That's action. That's action-packed baseball, and I think that's baseball's way without admitting that they were wrong a little bit when they talk about analytics, and now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden we want guys to put the ball in play in the playoffs. We don't want guys striking out all of the time. Now all of a sudden OPS isn't as important as it once was. Um, so I just think it's baseball's way of going back to a – exciting brand of baseball, and I love it. And, and also, too, I have to add this. Look at the teams that are in the World Series right now. Bruce Bochy, old-school manager. Mm-hmm. Troy Lovello, somewhat of an old-school manager. It's good for the game, so I love what we're seeing and what's happening for baseball right now. The old-school managers 
all of a sudden, back in the mix, Bruce Bochy coming off the couch in the World Series. Tori Lovello had such a great rapport with his players. Uh, so what we're seeing for the game, I think, is just extremely important for the game to get the athletes back involved in the game and, and create a, a more exciting brand of baseball. Uh, and and it, along with the pitch clock as well, I think it's been great. I still might be playing as well if we had that pitch clock. That was, it's awesome. Oh yeah, it's so good. It's yeah, from an aesthetic standpoint, it's 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 great what the game has become, and I I hope, fingers crossed, Cameron, that you're right. Yeah, that there is going to be a push a little bit further away from analytics, especially in the playoffs, when you know the, you don't have the whole season for for you know, the statistics to to play out, and you have to you have to be in the moment a little bit more. This is this World Series can be at times a tough watch for Jays fans here, Cam, uh, Cameron, because. You know, they, they they swing the big trade last off season, acquiring Dalton Varsho, who was one of the best defenders in baseball. It must be said, but boy, offensively left a lot to be desired for a Blue Jays team. That yeah, their big problem this season was they didn't score enough runs. And you watch a, a guy like Gabriel Moreno be in the middle of of a lineup that's three wins away from winning a World Series, playing great defense himself, and then taking his his power to another level. Now, you were part of a, a pretty significant trade yourself, of course, part of the Miguel Cabrera trade. Did you monitor, like, and that, that's a tough one. Like, that guy's, if you had a great career, but Miguel Cabrera is a future Hall of Famer. Were you, like, monitoring how that was playing out? Like, I do wonder if Dalton Varsho is at home watching this play out and, and whether that impacts his, his mentality going into next season. Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, and for me, it's, it's a little bit different because, you know, I was a young guy whose father, you know, took him to Miami to watch a young Miguel Cabrera play. So not only was I monitoring his progress, you know, this is a guy that I looked up to that I thought, you know, for a long time, and I still thought was one of the best right-handed hitters to ever grace a, a batter's box in Major League Baseball. Um, so I definitely much so very much was, you know, trying to see what he was doing as I was trying to navigate my, my journey and my career. Um, and just to add to that point, and this is no knock against, against Dalton Varsho, but I, I truly think, um, and this is just my opinion, I thought when that trade happened last year, I thought that they very much, not only did they, um, you know, I won't say devalue Moreno because we didn't really know what he was. We knew what, you know, what prospects are, and that's what they are. And prospects are guys who hadn't quite done anything yet. But one place where I thought they were very, much, uh, you know, not valuing a guy was Lourdes Goriel. I think, you know, his ability to put the ball in play, you know, talk about OPS, a guy who, you know, his numbers weren't, you know, didn't jump off the chart when you talk about OPS. But when I look at a guy and I talk about his, his hitting ability, mm. look at what he's done in this playoffs for the Diamondbacks. Yep. And all of a sudden his power, because he's a good hitter, usually with time your power comes along. It isn't always there early. But when you got a guy who can hit like Lourdes Goriel, I think you devalue him as a hitter and as a defender. You talk about left field as well. And I think Darren Varsho is what he showed you this year. I thought he was that last year. I know, you know, I do the quote fingers and he was a great defender, but I think you did him a little disservice by not putting him behind the plate and make him strictly outfielder because what made him really well was moving him all over the place. So great I think point. as a hitter, I, I think he is a, a low 200 average type of hitter. Um, and I think, you know, I think they devalued and I think they're seeing why we should put more value in guys that can hit for average because usually guys that can hit for average, eventually the power develops and it comes along. So I think, you know, I hate to say I think the D-backs won that trade and I said it back when it happened. Um, I thought they didn't value those guys enough. But, again, you're seeing it play out and you're seeing the fruit of the, you know, the, the fruit of their labors you know, coming to blossom for the Diamondbacks right now. And all of a sudden, all, you know, nobody's talking about, 
you know, this power. They're talking about the type of hitters that these guys are, the type of teammates that these guys are, what they do defensively. And I think that was very much undervalued when you talk about the Blue Jays trying to make moves. And you can't fault them. You know, Don Vosho had a good, good mm-hmm. first year, but there's a learning curve in the big leagues. And these guys figure you out. And I just think he has a lot of swing and miss in his game. And I think, you know, I'll be interested, interested to see, you know, how he continues to progress, you know, as a hitter. He, and he reminds me of Schwarber without the without the pop, you know, I guess you could say. Quality at bats, but a lot of swing and miss in there. Yeah, without the walks, without all the power. That's 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 a lot of stuff missing from, from faster. <laughs> definitely we can all agree he's exactly. definitely faster exactly. though. Uh they're different defenders exactly. too. Absolutely, uh, different <laughs> defenders. But to, offensively, you know, it's like it just I it's a lot of swing and miss. I'm a big fan of guys that put the ball in play. That that's still me, that's still what I stand on, you know. It helped. I didn't have a you know Hall of Fame career, but putting the ball in play helped keep me around for a long time. And I tell you what, you set your team up for success as well. You know, I, I 100% agree. Like, I, I want to focus back on on what you said about, yeah, Moreno being one of those guys that puts the ball in play, but then growing into his power. Because that's that's the thing that's happening here, right? Like, he had seven home runs over the course of the regular season. Last year with the Blue Jays in AAA and the Major League level, hit four home runs all season long. Um, he was a guy that hit for a high average, didn't take a ton of walks, but it's just like the extra base power did not exist for him. How much, and now he's hit four home runs in the postseason, right? He's, he's got more than half of, of the home runs he hit in all of the regular season this year. How much of what we're watching right now is just a guy having an incredible month-long run or, or how much of it is actually, you know, this guy is actually having the ability to hit for average. You can, you can, you can develop power as your professional career continues? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, when I ask my colleagues and, uh, you know, guys like Alex and Zila and, and former catchers that, you know, you, you know, really studied the game, you know, they rave about this young man defensively. And I think we all, you, you know, it's always been one of those things where if you have a guy behind a plate, you want him to command and control that, that, that starting rotation, that bullpen staff. That's what you want. And anything after that is a plus when you talk about offense. But, you know, one thing that we had always heard about, you know, Gabby Moreno is that he could hit, you know, that the power might have been there, but this guy has some basketball skills. And you're seeing that right now really uh, show up on display right now. And when you talk about a guy as young as he is, you know, one thing that I can, you know, speak to and, and testify on is, you know, the more at-bats I got in the big leagues, the more comfortable I became. The more I understood who I was, I understood that, hey, Camp, not a guy that strikes out a lot. He'll, he'll understand that he's not a guy that strikes out a lot. And as he gets better, he'll start to walk more. The walks will start to go up, and he'll start to go, okay, this is what I'm good at right here, so I'll be able to take more chances, you know, and look to catch, you know, more pitches out front. And at the big league levels also, you know, guys are more around the dish. You know, a lot of guys in the minor league levels, I can honestly say it's hard to hit at the minor league level. I literally rave and talk about guys that rake at the minor league level. I really at all because you're facing guys that are working on things, that are really – you know, pitching with no 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 rhyme or reason, no no real feel for what they're doing. So, to be able to hit for average, you know, I think the power numbers are only going to elevate when you get to the next level, the big league level, where pitches are more consistent, more in the zone, uh, more around the plate. And you're seeing that right now, and you're seeing his ability to continue to take up. I think this is a guy that, yes, he might be you know somewhat hot right now, and I think the moment is elevating his play. But what this does for a young man's confidence now, all of a sudden. You know, if you're good and you have a good postseason, now you go into the offseason thinking, you know what, I am the guy. I am the man. You might gain a little bit more added confidence that you might not have. And that continues to carry, you know, carry on with you throughout your career. And I think we're going to see that for a lot of guys 
you know, Evan Carter, uh, Adonis Garcia. I know he had a great series, but these are guys that I think this playoff is going to help them elevate their level. Bryson Stott, who's now out, I think this playoff is going to help these guys, you know, garner a different type of confidence that I don't think they might have had. Um, you know, you know, in the regular season. So I think it's huge what we're seeing from Gabby Marino. I'm, I'm so happy you bring up that point. I am such a massive believer of that in all sports, that somebody having this level of success in the moments that matter most when they're still just getting their feet wet in, in the major leagues or, again, whatever professional sport it is, it does feel like it causes them to go up a level or, or just steals them a little bit more and, and gives them, like you said, it's all all confidence. I want to go back to a name you mentioned earlier on in this conversation, and that was Lourdes Gurriel Jr. You know, the Blue Jays, again, we don't need to talk about that trade, but part of the trade... and not the Moreno part, but the Gurriel part was a belief and, you know, that maybe that clubhouse wanted to get a little more serious. Maybe he's a little bit of too much a fun-loving guy. And I don't think people put that as a criticism of Lourdes. It was just there's maybe too many of those guys in a clubhouse. You know, you played on on some postseason, some World World Series team as well. How important is the right mix in a clubhouse of serious guys who are locked in all the time? And, you know, some guys who it could be game seven and it feels like spring training to them. How important is the right mix in a clubhouse? And is there, in your opinion, one right way to build a team in terms of personalities? Or is there many different ways you can do it? Yeah, so so for me, that's a, I love that question. Because for me, you know, this is only my opinion and how I look at things. And, and, and the one day, I, again, I always say I would love to be a gym and put a team together after seeing what I've seen throughout my career, seeing the bad teams, what they've done, the good teams, what they've done. And one thing I continue to say is there's no, there's no stat for character. We have numbers for everything out there, but there's no stat for a guy's character. And I think, like I said, sometimes what may be undervalued is what a guy brings to the clubhouse that you just can't see how his peers uh, react to him, you know, you know how his, the coaches react to him, how the clubhouse Staff reaction, the Bat Boys, uh, you know, whoever it may be. And when you talk about a guy like Lourdes Gurriel, and I play with his brother, they have a, char- a charisma about them that people want to be around. They have an infectiousness that people enjoy being around. So I think sometimes, you know, on some of the teams that I've been on, some of the more serious teams are the teams that end up tightening up a little bit. We say uh, all of a sudden that Keister gets a little bit tighter because you're a little bit too serious. You need to have some guys. <laughs> you know, in that locker room, in that clubhouse that can lighten the mood, that can lighten the moment and say, hey, guys, it's still baseball. Let's go have fun. Let's play a kid's game because it's a kid's game at the end of the day, and if you're not enjoying it, it's extremely difficult. I know everybody can't be Corey Seager, and everybody can't be stone-faced and just, you know, totally locked in, no smiles whatsoever. That's hard to do, you know. So I give guys like Corey Seager all the credit in the world for being able to have that mentality. But if you sit around and watch a game, I don't think this Blue Jays team – you know, got just totally serious by letting go Lewis Gurriel. When I look at these guys and I played against these guys, all of a sudden they didn't seem like this just extremely serious group now that they got rid of Gurriel and, and Teosa or whoever else might have been the, the jokesters or the charismatic guys in the locker room. So I think you have to be extremely careful um, sometimes when you're putting a team together and you don't value character as much as you do stats and numbers and analytics. And I think that's where things get lost in transition when you're talking about putting a team together. You know, I played – team in Miami, and I was traded, but they tried to go get, and I, get, I know you guys remember, they tried to go put Hanley Ramirez and Jose Reyes together, and it looked great. It just sounded great. <laughs> These were two of the best shortstops in the National League for probably about eight to ten years, and all of a sudden, you put those guys together, and ego started to clash, and this guy wants to hit here, and this guy wants to play there, and, char- and character doesn't, you know, characters don't mix together, so I think it's a fine line between, you know, understanding the person that you're going to get, asking clubhouse managers, 
uh, asking people around the stadium, how is this guy? How, you know, how is he with his teammates? And I think, you know, maybe guys will value that more uh, than just, hey, this guy's a little silly. You know, he may be silly, but he may be an integral piece to, to the puzzle. He may be that glue guy, you know. So I just think, you know, we have to take that into consideration just as much as, you know, what a guy may be doing on the field. He might be a great player, but he might be a turd. So, you know. <laughs> You know, and, and and one of those guys that I think most people had an image of uh, being closer to the, to the turd was Tommy Pham, right? Like, Tommy Pham, a lot of people thought that this was a guy, I mean, when he's not punching people out uh, for, for you know, the, their fantasy football, uh, the, the bad moves that they make in fantasy football and, and, and him being upset at that. Like, he's, for, for an outsider, but a lot of people had this perception of, of Tommy Pham. He ends up, uh, with the four hits in game two, uh, he apparently decided he wanted Jace Peterson to to get a World Series at bat and did not try to become the first player in, in World Series history I mean, come to on. have five hits. And, and you <laughs> tweeted about him. Like, how different is, is the reality for Tommy Pham than the perception? A hundred percent. And this is a guy that I've known for years. And I tell you, he is one of the most understood guys in the game of baseball. Uh, he can be a little bit scary at times because he takes no crap from anybody. Uh, if you're in his fantasy league, you better be a great commissioner or we yeah. know what will happen. Let's just be honest. Um, I don't know if I'll play fantasy football with Tommy, but this is my guy. I text him throughout the playoffs. Uh, he always takes back. And it's a guy, if you play with him, his teammates talk about how they love Tommy because they know if there's one guy that's going to have your back on the diamond, it's Tommy Pham. And then you talk about a selfless moment like that. Jace Peterson is one of my best friends in this world. We became really good friends when we played together uh, in the Atlanta Braves organization along with the Padres organization as well. So we became extremely tight. Um, so to see that moment, things like that, you know, I'm a big fan of karma and juju. And I'm like, you know, for me, that creates great karma, you know, and talk about character, right? There's no stat for that. All we see is the perception of what we get, the clips, the little bites of Tommy Pham, he bites people's head off. But people don't understand this guy truly loves his teammates. He loves his manager. And when he has that, when he shares that uniform with you, he's going to go to bat for you until the final out, until the last straw. And uh, that's what I appreciate about him. Like I said, a guy who's, who's totally understood and sometimes fans. And that's why I love doing this. I love, you know, being, you know, you know, freshly removed from the game to give fans that insight about guys that they just might not know, they might not understand. And whether they, you know, like it or not, and take it for what it's worth, it is what it is. But I still love to be able to let these guys know that the perception isn't always the reality. And, and Tommy Pham is definitely one of those guys that is, uh, you know, one of my favorite people to talk to. He has a passion. He has a seriousness about what he does, about his craft, one of the hardest workers in this game that you're going to find. And I think uh, when you start to do your, your, your background work, people talk about, you know, that's the guy that you want in your clubhouse. And you're seeing it right now. You think those guys don't love every minute yeah. of having that guy out there right there with them. You can see – you can see the passion and that little bit of extra. Uh, you talk about seriousness, that extra fight. He brings that to the Diamondbacks where you had a, a young, lively group, athletic group. But I think, you know, you talk about adding a little bit of character. That was the character they need. They needed a guy to come in and say, hey, I'm not okay with coming here and, and losing. You know, I want to win. And, and granted, they found a way to get in. But uh, I think he adds more to the, to the team and, and to an organization that people might not realize. Yeah, well, and and the proof is in the pudding as far as the performance on the field as well. Three home runs this postseason. Uh, Cameron, this was a whole lot of fun. Thanks so much for doing it. Yeah, loved it. Thanks, man. Oh, uh, listen, any anytime I enjoy being on with you guys. And, and let me just say this. It's fun to watch the D-backs. Let's get back to the time of, you know, guys being able to hit 20 or less homers and still driving 100. Let's get those days back. You that know what I mean? Great. The well-rounded baseball guys. So, 
you know, I just want to throw that out there. But while we got this playoffs going on and we're watching some good baseball, let's get back to well-rounded ball players. I'm with you, man. Maybe, maybe we're headed in that direction. Thanks again, Cameron. All right, appreciate you guys. This is Cameron Mabron, uh, former Major League outfielder, MLB network analyst. As if you needed more fuel on the fire to to be, if you're a Blue Jays fan, rooting against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Tommy Pham was uh, very much in. Mm-hmm. My world, a guy that the no. Blue Jays should have a lot of people targeted. Said, oh, what are you going to do? Go get Tommy Pham? There, yeah. there was a lot of that said. Well, and there's like, yeah, I mean, the the conversation, if you were an anti-Blue Jays should go out and get Tommy Pham person, you would say, well, what? Tommy Pham is not a difference maker. And he's not. Like, he's not going to you know, win you an MVP award. I mean, he might win you a World Series MVP award. But he is, uh, yeah, throughout the course of his career is not – is can never reach the heights of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but it was somebody much needed mm-hmm. by this this Blue Jays team, a right-handed bat that... Now, the pro, the other problem with Tommy Pham is, like, there's no yeah. obvious positional mm-hmm. place for him, and this is a team in the Blue Jays that very much prioritized defense above all other things. Yep. So this is, they, they couldn't abide one Tommy Pham, and here he is with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno on the verge of maybe winning World Series. Good and, times. And a leader of men. For sure. Good stuff. All right. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 Fan. Good morning.